before we start talking about the movie that we're going to talk about, which is Crazy Rich Asians, so stick around for that. Did you watch this on HBO Max? Yeah, why? Did you, before it started, get an ad for a reality television show called 12 Dates of Christmas? No! I got an ad for, like, that Nicole Kidman show that everyone's watching. Okay, I got an ad for HBO's new reality dating show that's called The 12 Dates of Christmas, which essentially looks like it is Christmas-themed Love Island or Christmas-themed Bachelor in Paradise. Wait, real talk. Should 12 Dates of Christmas be our mini-sodes? Maybe. Let's talk after. I really, I was like, what is this show? Is this The Christmas Bachelor? Do I need to watch this? Carrie and I have discussed, and she can cut this if we ultimately decide not to do this, but Carrie and I have discussed, well, I suggested going up to one episode a week, and Carrie was like, I am a lawyer and have two children. What are you bringing to the table? And I was like, I'm unemployed and living in our parents' basement, Carrie. You're not the only person with responsibilities. Um, So her counter thing was what we do, like, a little mini-sodes where we watch, like, a rom-com TV show, and now I think we're watching 12 Dates of Christmas. Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched Crazy Rich Asians, which I actually didn't look up when it came out. 2018. Um, and we kind of chose this as like a kickoff to the holiday season, even though it's not a holiday movie. It came out at Thanksgiving or Christmas, I believe. It was like a big holiday release and it's very i think just because like green is such a central color and it's so like bright it feels holiday it feels of the season when we started it it, mom was like did you see this in theaters and i was like yes and she was like man i wish i had seen it in theaters this looks like it'd be great on the big screen and she was right like there aren't a lot of rom-coms where you watch and you think like this needs to be seen in the movie theaters and this was one of this is one of those movies where like oh you want to see this on yes. a big screen because it's so bright and there's like fireworks all the time and the colors are so vibrant and it's it's it was like a legitimately beautiful movie to see on a big screen which I just don't think happens that often with rom-coms yeah um I watched this on my laptop because I almost texted you to be like switch out with Jeff you need to watch this on your new tv so I thought about it and Jeff was like you can watch it on the tv if you want but the problem is we don't have any furniture in this house yet. And I looked at the runtime on this movie and it's over two hours. Not just, a short one. Just over two hours. And I was like, I don't want to lay on the floor for two hours. So How I, echoey do you think you are since you have no furniture right now? I tried to choose a room with the most furniture, which is not saying a lot, but I can't promise that we're not echoing. And I apologize. If Carrie's very echoey, she should have some more furniture by our next, by our first mini sound. Yes. I, um, I spent lots of money on furniture yesterday, so it should all be coming in the next couple of weeks. Can you spend lots of money on getting this old couch out of here so I can have a little home? I'm working I'm like trying to turn our parents' basement into a little home and Carrie has left this like giant poo green sectional. (laughs) Okay. It's not my poo green sectional to be fair. Anyway, that has nothing to do with Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. What was this like watching on a laptop? I feel like you maybe missed an aspect of the movie. No, I mean, I could still tell, like, this was a really beautiful movie. There were lots of scenes where I just was... This this movie had lots of issues that we're going to discuss. <laughs> um, I really enjoy it. But I did, too. I actually really, really... I had not seen this movie before, and I really liked it. I watched it like two months ago. I have watched it in lockdown. (laughs) This movie is food, fashion, and real estate porn. And travel porn. And travel porn. This movie is pretty people in pretty places wearing pretty clothes. And I, and I am here for it. This is what I needed. This felt joyful It felt vibrant. It was wonderful. That first food market scene where they, 
the two main characters who are played by Constance Wu and Henry Golding, both of whom we'll talk about in a minute. They arrive in Singapore. He is the best. The premise is, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know the premise, but the premise is Constance Wu and Henry Golding live in New York. They're dating. He is from, or his family is in Singapore. I think the story is he grew up in London. He went to boarding school in in London. He talks about growing up in Singapore. He is Chinese. His family is Chinese. When I watched this a couple months ago, I like looked up, I like tried to figure out the colonization politics of that and did not retain it. I like, I think, and I'm going to deeply apologize for how wrong this is. I think like China colonized or, and Britain absolutely colonized Singapore because they drive on the wrong side of the road. So at one point, Singapore was a colony of Britain and like maybe China also colonized Singapore. I don't. There's there's some there's colonization politics and why these Ch- British Chinese people live in Singapore. Well, and there's some like implication of that because the Aquafina character, although I think in this she's credited as Nora Nora Lum, which is I her think so birth too. name. So she no, says, she's credited as Aquafina. It says Aquafina. Okay, that she article. says to Constance Wu that they're like old money China and they were like his family, Henry Golding's family. Um, His name is Nick. Are the crazy rich Asians, are the titular crazy rich Asians. Right. And they're like old money Chinese and they like came to Singapore when it was still quote unquote a jungle. Although I assume that there were indigenous people living there and like essentially built up. They were like the original sort of like developers of Singapore. Is this turned Singapore into this like right. glamorous vacation? So getaway. I do think that like there is some, honest, like I don't know if colonization is the right term, but there was immigration from China to Singapore, and wealthy Chinese people developed Singapore. It, that's what I'm gathering from this rom com. So much you know. like in Bride and Prejudice, when they ta- he goes to like the little he, they want to go to those Indian towns, and one of the sisters, or maybe it is even, uh, uh, Lizzie, which isn't her name in uh, Bride and Prejudice, um, is like that's not India. Lolita. These towns are in right. Lolita. Thank you. Um, and like it's basically he's the he's like has his family is very similar to the. Mr. Darcy character of Bride and Prejudice. This the- had a Bride and Prejudice kind of feel because it's a it was a big over the top colorful movie. It's you know we're at a wedding. The storyline's very soapy, which I like. Like, and you can tell it c- comes from a. I hate the term chiclet, so I'm going to not use it. You can tell it comes from like a rom com book. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it's 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 very there's like soapy twists that yes. are fun. And we get some weird exposition at the beginning that feels very literary and like we weren't love quite it. sure how to get that in the movie without some weird exposition. Are you talking about the opening scene? Wait, before we get into that, on the subject of this being food and travel and clothes. Oh, forms, yes. I was looking over my notes before we started and realized I have just a list of things I want were it not. Um, my notes are essentially, except for one note on the back page, which spoiler alert says public pr- proposals are manipulative. But um, the rest of my notes are just a list of things I want, were it not quarantine. And I'm going to read them for you now. Um, I want to be able to fly. I'll even do it in economy, although I did like the way they flew first class. Um, I want to be Astrid without the shitty marriage. That I don't think it's, I can't, don't think I can blame coronavirus for holding me back from. I don't have a cool $1.2 million to drop on a pair of earrings. I did add those to my Christmas list. Mm-hmm. I turned to mom and I said, I want those for Christmas. And she said, I'll get right on it. I don't think she's getting right on it. <laughs> um, I want Asian street food. That scene. Mm-hmm. And I know the interesting thing I noticed about that scene, it's like, so they're going to Singapore for his best friend's wedding. He's the best man. And his best friend and fian- and his fiance pick them up from the airport. And then they're like, we're hitting the town. And they go to this street fair, which is a real thing because they've gone to it on Top Chef. And they have this street food that looks unbelievable. And then a couple scenes later, they go to a party at his grandmother's house and they go into the kitchen and they do a similar thing with the food, except it's so well done because the street fair food is like looks delicious but it's street fair food they're like slopping noodles in bowls you see like meat on a stick 
Um, and they have this like giant smorgasbord of delicious looking, but not certainly not refined street food. And then you get right. to this party and they're like molding things into little balls and everything's very particular. And you just, yes, and they're like good... using straight edges to like, make yes, they're using molds perfect. to make things pretty. Yes. And there's a very good, like it, through the food they're showing us, here's the life where she feels comfortable and or her relationship with him and where they feel comfortable and are having fun. And then here's where he came from and where she feels very uncomfortable yeah, where everything is pristine and perfect, and I didn't. I had never. I hadn't noticed the difference in those food scenes before. No, that's what I hadn't kind of put that together. I just said like this movie is food porn. Like yeah, and both I watched foods that look scene, amazing. I watched that scene twice because I watched it and I wrote, "I miss food markets. I want to travel." Mm-hmm. And I then wanted to I be called, in Singapore so deeply. And then I called Jeff into the room and I was like, "You have to watch this scene." And I made him watch it, and he was like, that was incredibly depressing, because now all I want to do is go to Singapore and go to a food market. I just want, like, a giant bowl of delicious noodles. I also had the thought, because I had a bad diabetic week, where I was like, even if I went there, I wouldn't know how to take insulin for it. And then I was like, fuck it, I'd eat the entire bowl of noodles, and then, like, maybe die, and it would be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay, so, rewind. This movie is... Conclusion, this movie is beautiful and there are wonderful things to look at. The premise is <laughs> Constance Wu and Henry Golding live in New York. They are dating. He, his family is in Singapore. He hasn't, they've been dating for about a year. He has invited her to go to Singapore with him to meet his family and attend his best friend's wedding with him. Turns out he's like rich, rich, like crazy top one top half of one percent rich we would should want to eat him but he's too beautiful so i want to eat him in a different sense gross um and she knows none of that about him which is wild he should have given her well he's also like so rich he's famous like it's not like he's famous and therefore he's rich they're so rich they're like they're like the hiltons or that shipping air that uh the Schitt's Creek that uh, woman fake dates, which I had to explain to mom and dad when we started Schitt's Creek, who Stavros Niarchos was, and that was a wild conversation. Um, True. They, they're like, they're like untouchable rich, and so therefore he's famous. So like when he's, they're like in a restaurant, and he's inviting her to come home with him. Like some woman who we found find out is like the face of Radio 1 Asia, like, sees him in the restaurant, takes a picture, sends it to a friend, and they're all trying to figure out who this girl is. And because this sort of, like, gossipy uh, celebrity culture, it goes around very quickly, and people are trying to figure out who this woman is. So it's a little bit wild. I mean, I guess we're not, like, Americans aren't super tapped into, like, Asian specific celebrities like you and I can't name like I'm sh- like there is a family like this in China or S- Singapore that we don't know so I guess in that way like maybe she doesn't know who he is but if he can't go to a restaurant without getting like phone pictures snapped at him she hasn't noticed this at all before well but also like when it gets back to his mother like almost immediately through this like yeah, they're, like, know, still like, at dinner when his mother's the speed gone it. internet social media, like, his mother calls and is like, oh, you're, you know, bringing this woman to the wedding or whatever. And they've been together a year. This is the first time they're spotted together. Unless, like, the implication is, like, they overhear that he's bringing her to the wedding and that's the news. But the way that I saw it was, like, this is the first time, like, Asian, like Chinese and Singapore, like pop culture news is aware that he is dating this woman. And I was like, absolutely not. There's no way that that is true. And they have this whole montage where like we see how quickly this news spreads. So we're supposed to believe that like there's a real kind of like, A, like they're famous and people are paying attention to what they're doing. But there's also this like gossip insularness to their community but this is the first time in a year that it's happened. I don't know that part. I was just like, this is weird. Also, how has he not told her who he is? Yeah, also, also just like, fuck you for not telling her before you straight get there. Like, you needed but, to have given her a heads up, hot Henry Golding. But second of all, we're told that she is an economics professor at NYU and she's incredibly smart. 
And she's never Googled this man she's not, she's that she's been dating for a year. I Google every man I go on a date with, and it's exactly. always just, like, their dumb LinkedIn profile. Like, it's never, it's always, like, yes. best case scenario, I get, like, a decent LinkedIn. Worst case scenario, you know, they're wanted. Um, right. You've never, never like, like, just been, like, oh, Nick Young, Singapore. Oh, I would love to accidentally Google someone I'm dating and find out they're a Chinese shipping heir. Like, right. Chinese hotel heir, I guess. Development heir. It's unclear. I don't understand rich people's jobs. Um, yes. So that part I was like, this is weird. Also, it's implied that she's met his cousin Astrid before. Mm-mm. He's just uh-huh. talked about Astrid before. He's no, just, when, she's the when only she's, one he's close to, so she hears more about her. But when they see each other for the first time at the party, she says it's nice to see a friendly face. Don't you think that's just because they've heard a lot about each other and they're both nice people? Okay, but regardless, he describes her as, first of all, he describes her She does her as, say she's who I want to be when I grow up, which mean, this means she's described who she is, because she's who we all want to be when we grow up, minus the terrible marriage. Well, and then in, like, the weird exposition where he's describing his various cousins, he describes her as, like, a socialite and a fashion icon. And I'm like, how did you not pick up on the fact that this family is wealthy? Also, what male cousin describes their female cousin as a fashion icon to their girlfriend? That was the piece of the exposition where I was like, this rings a little weird. This Except is- if they're legitimately a fashion icon. I think you and I think that because we don't have any cousins who are fashion icons. And I say that, you know what I mean? Like, I think if they were, like, if our cousin was Meghan Markle, we might describe her as a fashion icon. <laughs> yes, Maybe. I don't know. That just, like, I was like, this is a line from the book. This is the source material. Sure. And we're bringing it into the movie in kind of an awkward way. So anyway, I really struggled with, like, the first ten minutes of the movie because I was like, this premise, I'm not buying the premise. But once we got to Singapore and we got a little past the premise, I was in. I was 100% in. But the first, like, ten to fifteen minutes, I was like, I just don't buy this. And it makes me, like, little sus of him like it makes me not like him right away yeah the him lying to her is uh something there's a lot of just sort of you just gotta believe it and i think a lot of it has helped because henry golding is so fun to look at yes and to be honest he and doesn't so is she. do a lot in this movie it's show is she but constance was also an excellent actor yeah whereas what this movie is it's sort of just like and i don't henry golding's a perfectly decent actor i don't but he doesn't he's not doing as much his work is standing and looking the way he looks which he does very well no the women are doing the heavy lifting in this movie. yes the, the men three... the men in this movie are just there for eye candy and i think that's important because there is a horrible stereotype that asian men are not hot and this movie said watch me work and then it did <laughs> the other thing that that I think is important about his character because you're right. Like really this is about this movie is much more like performance wise. This movie, there's a lot like meteor stuff for Constance Wu, Gemma Chan and Michelle Yeoh to do. And And, the, uh, the woman who plays Constance Wu's mother. Yes. We'll get there. Um, But I, you know, the last couple of movies or handful of movies we've talked about, like, kind of crummy male romantic leads where you're just like not like they're not great characters to root for. Henry Golding is the opposite. This character, Nick Young, is a fantastic rom-com lead. Yes. He is incredibly handsome. Mm-hmm. He is almost almost unbelievably handsome. He's wealthy. He's a hopeless romantic, like kind of stupidly and naively so. But that's what I want in a Ron Conley. Mm-hmm. I want a man who's like, oh, all these logistics that would be a huge issue in the real world? Fuck them. I don't care. I love her. Like, love conquers all. That's what we need in our Ron Conley. Particularly... And this character, like, is written perfectly. And that's really all he needs to do here. He needs to stand there and look pretty and be unrealistic about marriage. Particularly in a movie like this, which is sort of wish fulfillment-y. And, like, this is yes. not a super grounded movie. This no. is not you're sleeping with other people where you're... This is this is not a life any of us lead. 
And so in like a super wish fulfillment movie, I don't want, I say this with love, Adam Scott as my rom-com lead. That's too close to what I could conceivably achieve. I nice. want an, like, an unbelievably handsome eye candy man that I will never meet in my real life. And I want him to be so rich it's crazy, and I want them to eat the best food in the world. Like, there's nothing about this. I'm not watching this movie to connect to it. Although the other thing that's very good about this movie, and I think another nod to the the relationships in this movie that spark an emotional response are the ones between the women. It's mm-hmm. Constance Wu and her mother, or and his mother. It's Constance Wu and her best friend, played by Aquafina, which also has problems that we'll get to. And it's Constance Wu and her mother. When her mother enters the room, when she's sad, you burst into tears. It's like... Because they built those relationships so well. You know these two people are going to end up together. Although the movie does a pretty decent job of making you think they're not. But it's a right. rom-com. So you know how it's ending. What you don't know is how you're going to get there. And the truth is you get there through these female relationships. Oh, and Gemma Chan. Who, side yeah. note, I know that they are as different as two people can be. But because they're both British and their name is Jenna, Gemma, I have a hard time remembering which one is Chan and which one is Collins, which is wild because Gemma Collins and Gemma Chan are opposite ends. Talk about old money, new money. Also, like, could not have the different careers, like totally different human beings. They're both in entertainment. Gemma Chan is unworldly beautiful. She, this character is a more realistic Tahani. Yes, she is. Yes, she is like Tahani Jamil from The Good Place. She is like unworldly beautiful. She's crazy rich. She has impeccable style. She is, I mean, that's the, this movie is the clothes. Like the locations are beautiful and the food is beautiful, but also all of these people are beautiful. Yeah. There is one like, ugly person in this movie and it's Bernard, the obnoxious groomsman. And he's supposed to be, but like, yes, the bride and groom are I'm sure he gorgeous. in real life, they're ugling him up. He might be a very cute man in real life. Yeah. The bride and groom are, groom are gorgeous. Gorgeous. The, the Constance Wu and Henry Golding are both incredibly gorgeous, attractive people. Gemma Chan, Chan is her like, shitty husband, her shitty I husband's mean, super hot. Yeah, even like Michelle Yeoh is just she's so glamorous and elegant. Even the grandmother is like glamorous even his, and like, elegant. Bad cousins, like the one who's like a who's like not gonna get any money because he's like the fourth born, so he just like directs movies. Which I heard that burn and I take it. Um, like he's super cute. Uh, I have always thought that the cousin who is also a Daily Show correspondent, I think his real name is. Miko Santos, the guy from Superstore? No, uh, Ronnie Chang, the guy who's a Daily Show correspondent. I think his name is Ronnie Chang. Oh, yeah, yeah. That plays like the one that's in Unhappy Marriage and he always wants his children to like stand perfectly, that one. Yeah, Ronnie Chang. Yeah. Um, He's super cute. Uh, The gay cousin is adorable. Like everyone in this movie is attractive except the obnoxious groomsman who's supposed to look like obnoxious and sleazy. Yeah. Uh, but there is not not a beautiful person in sight. Yeah. <laughs> Creepy Ken Jong sucks. Astrid Husband sucks. Those are two notes I have in a row. Ken Jong, I... We can't because we've been watching The Masked Singer and we hate him on The Masked Singer, but it might just be his personality on The Masked Singer. But he is he was that character in this movie too. Like, that is his persona and he does it very well, but it's like... It's made him so rich. Like... It's like casting directors are like, who is the most obnoxious person? I need like a truly obnoxious human being for this role. Let me call Kim uh, Ken Jong. Yeah, I did think watching he plays Aquafina's father. Who so Aquafina is uh, Constance Wu's like college best friend who also, as luck would have it, lives in Singapore because she right, needs a but friend out there. So went to God. New York and went to NYU. Um, and her family is sort of new money, so she goes to see, and it, she goes to like visit Aquafina's family, and it's very like Trumpian decor, like everything yes. is gold and cheap, but costs money. Like they nail the new money versus old money aesthetic, and I thought I would make great new money because the ship has sailed on me being old money. It's not going to happen. 
but I can still make new money happen. And I think I'd be good at it. Yeah. But I, I was like, do we really like, do I need more Ken Jeong in my life? No. And you know, who was fun really in don't. that family was the mom. Her like new money, money obsessed mother was fun. Yes. And it's, and sh- we're still letting like Ken, it's like, get rid of Ken Jong and just let the mom do that heavy lifting. Right. And then they, like, kept bringing him back. And I know, like, we were trying to... Because I think when this movie came out, a lot of these actors were not known in the United States. I mean, Constance Wu was on Fresh Off the Boat, which was is a... Or was yeah, Constance a very, Wu was the, was the name of this movie. Right. But, like, Gemma Chan, Henry Golding had not really kind of, like, been in the pop culture-ness of the United States yet. No, I think they were and pretty so, big British celebrities. You know, I think these kind of almost cameos from people like Aquafina and Ken Jong were to so that American audiences could be like, "Oh, I know that person," but then we just kept bringing Ken Jong back. And I also, like, like, do we need like I don't? I, it's not like I'm going to a movie to see Ken Jong. Like I've never been like, really I gotta not. catch the new Ken Jong flick. Like, right? Really? I not. I watch things he's in in spite of him. Right. <laughs> not because of him. I'm Truly. like, I'll get through the 15 minutes. I'll get through that fucking gas station scene in Superbad because the rest of this movie is great. I'll deal with Ken Jong in the middle. Truly. Um, yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and he's also like a little bit creepy. Like there's a great dressing Constance Boo montage scene that I love a makeover love. montage. And he's, like, there trying to sneak a peek at her behind her little, like, dressing thing. It's like, get, get out of here, you creep. Which I understand, like, the movie wrote that and it's problematic. But I have chosen to blame Ken Jong for it. Right. Uh, um, and then under that I wrote Astrid's husband sucks. But he sucks in a different way. Yeah, that character sucks. The actor was fine. Very cute. Yeah. Um. um speaking of the actors in this movie... The bride, who I think the character's name is Alimenta, she is played, I'm, let me find the actress's name. She's on, the only other thing I've seen her in was that Hulu show called Devs with um, Nick Offerman, which was like a sci-fi kind of like thrillery mystery. Nick Offerman was in my dream last night. Weird. Um... Yeah, her name is Sonoya Mizuno. And this role and that role could not have been more different. I did not recognize her because her character is so different. She's fun in this movie. She's fun in this movie. She Devs is not a good show. It is not worth watching. But she's fantastic in that. Her performance is phenomenal in that. And um, this paired with that made me want to see more of her. So I have not seen Devs, and based on your uh, critique, I'm not going to. But um, do not watch it. I wasn't going to anyway. But now I'm like, mm, I heard it sucks, so I don't have to listen to people telling me to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her performance in this movie, her the writing of her character and the performance of this character are very important and she does very well because all of her friends are horrible people. They do terrible things to Constance Wu's character. They like trick her. They talk shit about her. They put a dead fish in her bed and write gold digging bitch over it. Which pause. Is that a thing people do? Do those women exist? uh, Maybe in very, very rich circles, but you can't at any point believe that the bride knows or has anything to do with it. Because we like the groom and we and we want like they're a little like second. There's never any like question that they're not going to get. There's no like tension in their love story. But that's our little secondary love story. That's what's bringing us to the wedding. And we want to want these two people to be happy. So we can't at any point ever believe that she's a part of it. And so she has to like play this sort of over the top daughter of billionaires with absolutely horrible people as friends and still be endearing. And she does it. And it's sort of helped by um, uh, Astrid, Gemma Chan's character, not Gemma Collins's character, um, who when she shows up to the bachelorette party, like 
is never anything but lovely to Constance mm-hmm. Wu, like helps her bury the fish, tells her that her husband, she found out that her husband is cheating on her and those two sort of bond. And she says, I think at one point Constance Wu says like, how can she have friends like this? And Gemma Chan is like, when you grow up with people, you make excuses for them. And I, it's like a very good point. It's like when you've been friends with someone since childhood and this community of wealthy, wealthy people is very small and very insular, you we make excuses for our closest friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, none of my closest friends have ever put a fish in a woman's bed. So, but you know, sometimes they do things that you explain away. Right. Um, because you have history there that maybe if someone else met them, they wouldn't understand. And so it's like explained in a nice way, but also that actor and the way that character is written is very tricky. And I think done very well. Cause we never at yeah. any point don't like her. I, yes, I liked her performance quite a lot. I needed, there was a little bit of like a weird lack of character development because in the first scene when we meet her and it's just the two couples, the bride and groom and Henry Golding and Constance Wu when they're in the food market. She has names this, are Nick and uh, Rachel. So we can, <laughs> right. Nick and Rachel and Alimenta and I'm blocking on the group. Cute name. groom. Cute, cute groom. Anyway, it's very like, I mean, it's kind of interesting. She So, like, when she's just in this foursome, the bride has this very, like, chill, cool girl, fun, welcoming energy. She's very kind of comes across as very, like, grounded. And then when we see her again at the bachelorette party, she's, like, in full sequence. She's over the top. She's, like, in her socialite element. And there's kind of a weird switch that yeah. doesn't quite get explained explained and I suspect having not read the book that that is flushed out much better in the book and I wanted a little bit more of that in the movie understanding of course that we're already at two hours and this movie did not need any additional time yeah Um, the movie is a decent because it's sort of soapy and uh I want to say showstoppery, but that's not the right word. There is a technical term in writing, in screenwriting of things you set piece, set piece. It's set piece. I can yeah. keep my degrees because this movie is over the top and very set piecey. It's sort of okay that it's that long. It's not a traditional rom-com. It's larger than life, but mm-hmm. you're right. We don't need to be adding things to making it longer. Yeah. Um, but it did. Like, and there's a curious. lot of characters. To, we're serving a lot of people here. Yes. And I suspect like we probably cut even cut some people from like book to movie. Um, but it did make me wonder about Alimenta as a character in the book. Because Are I you feel sure you're like. you saying that right? No. Yes. I think I am saying it right. I don't think it's um, an L. Anyway, I just feel like there was like a kind of quick flip. And understanding, of course, that, you know, we all kind of, like, we are, we may be a little bit different with our Araminta. It's not an L, it's an R. Sorry. Oh, okay. Araminta. Araminta. You're right. Um, You know, and with her socialite friend, she's going to be different than when she's with, like, her university friends and his new girlfriend. But it just, I wanted a little bit more there. But I agree yeah. that the, her performance is quite good and the character is fun. And I really hope to see more of her because she's clearly a fantastic actor. Given and their wedding what, was stunning. I yes. will not get married unless I can walk down a water aisle. That wedding scene was wild and incredibly beautiful. That was the thing about this movie is like, it did a really nice nice job of like making all the ostentatiousness feel beautiful rather than like just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and the, and like it's the same is true of the couple. Like these are really rich people. They're a bit like literal billionaires. And we so we know they're unethical, but well, I guess their parents are unethical. But also you then like are rooting for them and it's the same in the mm-hmm. wedding like it's they someone says it costs 14 million dollars which like is so much money particularly for a wedding but then the wedding's also just like gorgeous mm-hmm. 
you're like, oh, these people, like, rich people, like, they know how to spend money. Right. It's great. Um, also, um, she walked down the aisle to the same song that I walked down the aisle to, so I felt, like, a little bit of kinship there. It was also a beautiful version of... You walked down the aisle to Fool's Russian? Mm-hmm. And that was that. that was a really beautiful version. This soundtrack is fantastic. I want all pop songs covered in Chinese. I mean, that <laughs> probably happens. I want like those albums. It was so. There's one cover of Coldplay's "Yellow," which is like a very grating song to me, and I was like, I love this song now. <laughs> yes, we also got like a Chinese cover of "Material Girl" during the like makeover montage, which was yes. really fun. Um. Yeah, yeah. this has a lot of staples of great rom-coms. It has, like, a great soundtrack. There are multiple makeover scenes. Um, because There's, like, a scene where she, the uh, Michelle Yeoh, his mother's character, has said to her that she'll never be good enough, and she goes to talk to Aquafina about it. And Aquafina's like, you're a game theory professor. Like, you have to show her, like, stopping a wilting flower, you show her how smart and capable and you you are and then the literal next scene is like makeover and mom was like in order to show her how smart and capable she is we're gonna have a makeover and I was like yes don't question it this is great (laughs) yep yep and part of it is because they think she's trash which is hilarious but it's because she was like raised by a single mother in uh Queens and not rich so she's like poor American trash to them and so she's trying to show them that she's you know can dress well uh, mom at one point was like, I like the red dress she had picked out. And I was like, mom, rich people could tell that was a, right. that was a shitty dress. She had to wear the fancy dress. <laughs> you can't wear J. Crew. Like, mom was like, was- she could have pulled it off in that cute little red dress. Like, I was just really rooting for her. Uh, Rachel to be her truest self. Um, anyway, so then there's a makeover montage where Aquafina and the one gay cousin dress her. The rainbow sheep of the family, as he refers to himself. Right. Um, get her all dressed in these fun, fancy dresses. And then she goes to the wedding, looking stunning, and shows up the mother by talking to a princess who also wrote an article on economics. It's unclear, but unclear. she wins her over. Um, okay, so let's talk about Aquafina. So okay. I've not seen her in much. I think I've really only seen her in this and Ocean's 8. I really want to watch that movie that got critically acclaimed to the stars where she yes the arrival she's supposed to be very good in that the arrival no that's, that's the one with that's not right um it's like the long goodbye but that's not right either the farewell you know lulu wang who is a very impressive like writer director and um wrote and directed the farewell and it stars aquafina and Yep, she's also in a relationship with Barry Jenkins because genius recognizes genius. Yes, because they're like a writing, directing power couple, obviously. Um, Imagine, just side note, I feel like a dinner party at their house would be really fun and intimidating. Yes. I feel like they would really walk the line between like, they'd have a lot of like weird, impressive wooden art, but then they'd also like play fishbowl. That's how I'm imagining a dinner party with Barry Jenkins and Lulu Wang. They'd be like, here's this art we procured on a trip to Bosnia in 2016. It's representative of the whatever. Like, they would have, like, the full art history of their art pieces. And then they'd also play fishbowl. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah. Um, anyway, back in. Aquafina. <laughs> Aquafina. I really like her. I enjoy I watching too. her. I also think that this friendship was really nice and really well written. I like that character. I mean, she's doing a lot of, she's not like a super well developed character on her own. She's there as the best friend. She's there for the, some comedy. She's there for the comedy. She's there to be like the year. She's the audience when Constance Wu's like working out how she's gonna deal with this family, particularly the mother She's her sounding board. What? She's her sounding board. She's the sounding board. She's the rom-com best friend. And she does it quite well. There was criticism. This, when this movie and Ocean's 8 came out, there was, and just like in general, kind of as she came up in her career, criticism around some of like the black scent that she does and like the 
kind of like blackface voice that she puts on occasionally. And I felt like it took me out of the movie when she did it. Like, for the most part, it's not there. It's not yeah. her usual voice. And then they're like, the one scene in particular is where she's saying to Constance Wu, like, you are smart. You're a professor of economics. Like, meet this woman where she's at about Henry Golden's mother. But then she kind of floats into this, like, black scent. And it really kind of was, it, like, took me out of it. And I was like, oh, this, this isn't great. Yeah, because I had remembered the criticism. And then when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, oh, it's not bad. Like, she's not doing it. And then that scene hits and you're like, oh, it is bad. Like, right. oh, it, and you're right. Like, you and I are not uh, well equipped enough to discuss the long history of uh, cultural appropriation and in a black scent. There is an article from Vulture we will link to, which does that. But you're right. It also just, like, takes you out of the movie. It's just, like, give her good advice. You can say funny things. You can say jokes without, like, also doing this voice that then just feels very confusing and not in line with the character or the movie if the tone is weird and it's a little and and because it's appropriation like it's like a little it's uncomfortable so then you're also this otherwise good scene is just like uncomfortable right yeah you know yeah agreed um, so yeah, it's just, it's just, it's weird. We'll link it's to that article. It's, a, it's unnecessary. It's a Vulture article from 2018 around, oh, I guess this movie came out in August. Still feels like a window to the Christmas season. Wow. I would have sworn this movie came out at Thanksgiving. This article came out in August. So it was like an end of summer. It was like a summer blockbuster. End of, eh, it still feels Christmassy and I still stand by it being our, <laughs> entrance into the holiday season we're not saying it's a holiday movie we're just saying it you know i think Um, the grandeur of it and the beauty of it it. it's a vulture article from 2018 called who really owns the black sun it's by lauren michelle jackson and we will link to it so you can read much smarter criticism than ours um my other okay so last week did we do um friends with kids last week was that just no, was that our last movie yeah okay so when we did friends with kid my ted talk was about how megan fox um is underrated as a comedic actress mm-hmm. this week my ted talk is about how people misuse the term millennials um when did that happen and how does that relate <laughs> to this movie okay so there is a scene where um I forget who. Oh, Astrid says to Nick. So Gemma Chan says to uh, Henry, Henry Golding, Golding, like, is she is Constance Wu ready to deal with our family? And he says that, you know, like she grew up in Queens and she lecture, lectures millennials for a living. Like, she'll be fine. Meaning like everyone in are- this movie are millennials except the older generation, <laughs> the aunties and the moms. Constance Wu, Gemma Chan, Henry Golding, and all of the people, Aquafina, they are all millennials. He the means oldest, Gen Z. He means Gen Z. Millennials are approaching 40. Some Do you of understand? Them are. <laughs> like, some of them are some of them are in their 40s. Like like we are millennials. We are like we are in our 30s. Some of us are getting closer to 40. Like, yes, some of us still live in our parents' basement, but that is more a sign of the economic times than that we are. I'm also just a failure of a human. Like, she is not, if she is an undergraduate professor, she is lecturing Generation Z. To be fair. Not millennials. Counter, not a counterpoint, because I should have updated it for the movie. When these books were written, that may have made more sense. Okay. So it may have been in the book and they didn't translate it properly for the time of the movie. Okay. Fair enough. But we need to stop using millennial as a catch-all for 20-year-olds. Millennials are now in their 30s, almost to 40. What you're trying to say... Stop saying almost 40, Carrie. I, I'm living in my parents' basement. I need to just stop <laughs> saying almost 40. I'm not saying you're almost 40. I'm saying that the oldest millennials are 
40. They are almost 40. When you're talking about 20-year-olds, you're talking about Generation Z. But also, stop, like, generalizing about generations being lazy or unwilling to work or not having a work ethic or not being, like, tuned into the world's going on. Generation Z is fucking trying to save the world one, like, TikTok trend at a time. (laughs) So and they turned out in fucking droves to ensure that Trump didn't get reelected and they're trying to save this planet single handedly. So they're trying so hard and we're making it so hard for them. Right. Stop calling them lazy. Stop looking down on them. They're just doing things differently than your generation did them. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. The book I just looked up came out in 2013. So, well, maybe more appropriate. Still not appropriate. <laughs> Still right. not an appropriate use of the word millennial. Uh-huh. You don't mean millennial is the bottom line. Um, That's the only thing Henry Golding does wrong in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Let's talk about when the mom shows up. Cause, so, basically... At the wedding, at this over-the-top, opulent wedding, uh, the gram, the ama, the grandmother, who has sort of raised Nick's character and been very kind to Constance Wu up until this point, brings them back to say that she does not approve of their being together. And, uh, oh, and they reveal that, uh, in fact, they've learned through a private investigator that her father did not die before she was born, as she has told them. She, they say she's been lying. Turns out Constance who just didn't know the truth. Um, and that her father, her mother had an affair. A child came of that affair and she left him. And so her mother basically is garbage. Constance who leaves in a beautiful, like running through the wedding in this gorgeous dress scene. A um, lot of funny little things we will see as she runs through the wedding. Uh, the grandmother tells Henry Golding if he goes after her, he can't come back. And then the grandmother turns and is very mean to the mother. And we realize the generation of criticisms from mothers-in-law to their Mm daughters-in-law is a family tradition. Anyway, she goes and camps out at Aquafina's house. um, And then after like three days of trying to get her to eat and shower, her mother shows up and I burst into tears. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you just need your mom. And the mother explains the true story, which is that her husband was abusive she fell in love with someone she was in school with, like uh, college with. They had a child. And in order to ensure hers, her unborn child's and her lover's safety, she fled to America so that her husband couldn't kill them. And it's like a, this like harrowing story of what this woman did to save her and her child's life. And like Constance who asked, like, did you ever want to look for him? And she was like, no, because I didn't want him to be in danger. But she thinks about him every day. And I need the rom-com of these two finding each other again, because that is just a damn good love story. Well, and there's also like there's this very there's throughout this movie. There's a lot of there's themes of sort of like the Chinese American child versus like the the Chinese Chinese child raised in the East sort of the immigrant story versus the native story. And then there's also a lot of kind of Eastern culture versus Western culture. The, you know, his, there's a scene between his mother and Constance Wu where she is very critical of American culture being very focused on individual happiness and individual liberty as opposed to the community, Um, which we could have a whole separate podcast sort of unpacking like the Eastern focus on community versus the Western focus on the individual and the pros and cons of both. Um, But her mother's story is sort of like a uniquely, what we'd like to think of as kind of like a uniquely American story, which I, and I think is really interesting in this movie is because, you know, she, she flees a dangerous situation. She saves her and her child's life. She's a single mother. She puts herself through real estate school, gets her real estate license. Becomes builds, Flushing's top real estate broker, right. baby. Builds this small business. She has this entrepreneurial spirit, puts her child through college. Her child becomes a economics professor at NYU. You know, this is kind of all of like checks the boxes of like the American dream story. And what we think of as a quote unquote good immigrant. Right. Exactly. Um, And then and so for American audiences, 
you know, that again, like this is checking all of our our sort of stereotype boxes and the the Eastern, the Chinese family is saying like this, this is not enough for our heir. Because she was raised by a single mother who they deemed did something bad and left a marriage, right. which, you know. She should have left that marriage. Girl, get out. Anyway. Well, and there, and also they're like again, you know, I I don't think we are equipped, nor is this the purpose of this podcast to unpack, you know, community versus individual happiness. Um, but in Eastern culture, there's very much a focus on the community, and their concern is that this American will be far more focused on her own ambition and her own happiness, and. Whether that's right or wrong, whether that's good or bad is I don't think that this movie is even really making a judgment call, which I like. It's just saying like this is the difference in these cultures. Yeah, it's just showing the difference. But there's also like the the mother has done almost nothing for everything she did. She did for her child. And right. Her sort her tiny little like the two of the community of the two of them. Like mm-hmm. she fled that situation for them. She. She flies to Singapore, although it's revealed that Henry Golding called her and paid for it. So like that and that makes you be like, marry him. I, he flew your mother across the world. Marry him. Um, but she does. She comes for her daughter. She is everything that I think an American audience sort of sees in Michelle Yeoh's character as being sort of lacking in motherhood. Uh, Constance Wu's mo- mother has in stride. Like she is the mother Every kid wants. And there are things about, there are things about Michelle Yeoh's character that are admirable. That first scene where they go into the hotel and they're told to go to Chinatown and it turns out they have bought the hotel. The way she handles that is great. Like that is the sort of person you want to be. You want to handle things like that when it's particularly when you're being faced with racism or any like when you're being discriminated against, you want to be able to handle it like that. But then also, her mothering is maybe not what we think of as traditional loving motherhood. But she sort of says, like, I, I made the cho- or I think Henry Golding at one point says, like, she made all the choices she thought was in my best interest. Right. And whether that's true or not. She did those things for me. It just and I think like that's a very common theme of parenting is that like as you grow up and you realize the like mistakes your parents made a lot of those mistakes they did thinking it was the right thing and it just they they turned out to be wrong like parenting is making choices you hope are right and they're not all going to be and again like i don't think the movie is making any judgment about the choices that she makes or the way that she chose to mother and i think we quite clearly see that she loves her son and he loves yeah. her and um but she made very different choices than Constance Wu's mother made. And there is an incredibly, maybe like my favorite emotional moment in the scene or in this movie is so Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh kind of have this face off and Michelle or Constance Wu says like, I'm walking away because I don't want him ever to resent the fact that he had to choose his family over me. Um, but I want you to know like that's the choice you're making him make. And or you're you're forcing me to make for him. And then Constance Wu gets up and leaves and like her mother is there and her mother and Michelle Yeoh have this kind of like face off of the two moms. It's completely silent. But it is so powerful. And the the actress playing Constance Wu's mother is her name is um, she's. Credit in this movie is Tan Ken Huan. Huan. Um, she's a Singapore. She's like quite famous in Singapore. She's not super f- famous in the United States, um, which is kind of interesting that she's. Yeah, that's a cool thing this movie did is I think, I mean, there are a lot of American and British celebrities, but there's also some like smaller uh, Singapore. Celebrities. Yeah. I thought that too, kind of, because we said that this has sort of like a similar feel to Bride and Prejudice. But one of the things that I liked about this movie is that it's very, like, all of the actors are of Asian, Eastern Asian descent. 
and like the performances like when they have like live performances you know as as opposed to a bride and prejudice who brings in ashanti who is not indian was it ashanti hang on yeah it was ashanti um all like the woman who sings at um the wedding ceremony the woman that sings at the wedding reception like they're all asian um anyway <clears throat> the constance Wu, the woman playing constance Wu's mother is in this movie pretty like she has a very small part and yet the acting that she is doing is phenomenal very very good the scenes between constance Wu and her mom or between Rachel and her mom, are some of my favorite scenes in this movie. There is such a love and a warmth between these two actresses. Like, it it just, it brings such a grounded nature to this otherwise kind of over-the-top movie. And yeah. also, speaking of, like, I've never seen Constance Wu in anything. This is the she's only thing her. I've seen her in. And she's great. We like, could have a whole other podcast on the politics of Constance Wu. But damn, that bitch can act. And that's why she can behave the way she behaves. Yes. And still get work. Sometimes she puts her foot in her mouth. I also think that there it's worth and discussing. And allegedly is not the nicest person off screen. But we also know that sometimes people say that about women. And it actually uh, has absolutely nothing to do with that. So we are not passing judgment on whether or not that's true. I was going to say, I think there you can't have a conversation about Constance Wu and the rumors around her behavior without talking about sexism and racism. Yeah. And again, that's not necessarily what we're doing here today, but it's worth a discussion. But whatever and the whether any of that is true or not, Constance Wu continues to work because she's excellent actor yeah if you have not everyone go watch hustlers it's not a rom-com but it's such a good movie i die also justice for j-lo she should have been nominated for an oscar i know that's an insane sentence but i stand the fuck by it hustlers is a great movie yeah i having never seen her in anything before but knowing that she's like very buzzworthy right now because she's had kind of a string of hits and has been well received critically. I was super impressed with her in this movie. She is she is one of those actors where it's hard to take your eyes off of her when she's and one on of, screen. One of the reason her movies are hits, I mean, a lot about this movie makes it good. There's a lot about Hustlers, mm-hmm. <clears throat> including the writing and direction, that makes it very good. What makes... Hustler's a great movie is the four women and their acting and the way they relate to each other. And I think it's not for nothing that it's like four women who, if you heard their name individually three years ago, you wouldn't have said that's a great actress. But turns out, except maybe Kiki Palmer, but maybe I'm just a Kiki Palmer stand because, uh, you know, Akilah and the Bee. My point is like, I think her acting elevates these movies from good to great like i think i think it's not for nothing that these movies are hits and it's not entirely on her these movies are also very good but she's an excellent actor yes mom mom asked at the end of watching if we thought it was if i thought it was feminist and i said yes because of hang on i'm because for because I think the primary relationships in this movie have like the emotional relationship happened between women, the emotional growth, the emotional storyline is all between women, and the men are sort of serving those stories in a mm-hmm. fun way. <laughs> like the like the the story of this is not will the couple. I mean, it is will the couple end up together, but it's will the couple end up together because will the mother give her blessing? Like it's the emotional relationship is between. Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh not between the man and the woman and also because of uh, Astrid's character which is a woman who has been hiding her money to make her husband feel less inadequate growing into a woman who says you're right I shouldn't have done that I and I'm deserve to live the way I am able to live 
and I deserve a man who supports that and isn't weakened by it and he was weakened by it he was like a shitty man and I just Mm -hmm. think that like secondary story is really interesting and really feminist yeah I would argue that this movie is feminist for two reasons first of all I think it is rare to have a rom-com that passes the Bechdel test and while the Bechdel test is an imperfect test this does that very like on multiple occasions it um, also passes what i believe we have begun to refer to as the duvernay test which are two non-white people yeah the same race talking to each other about anything other than the fact that they're that race right which yes. there are the white people in this movie are few and far between and are just like racist hotel folk like there are no white people in this movie yeah um, yeah, I think that this movie, it's doing quite a bit for Asian representation, obviously. It's also doing quite a bit for Asian representation because, like, yes, they're Asian, but, and, like, the Asian culture is, per, like, permeates this movie, but it's not about Asian people being oppressed. It's not playing into any Asian stereotypes, like, white people stereotypes of Asian people. There's no like ugly caricatures of Asian people in this movie. This is about Asian, like the people in this movie are joyful. They are experiencing themes of love and loss and grief and joy. And we're watching them go that through that kind of regardless of their culture. But then we're also honoring the culture in this movie. Um, And like you said, I think the relationships between the women are central to this movie. We have like mother, daughter, friendships, like all written in really wonderful, grounded ways. And then I think the other thing is that this movie, kind of an outdated version of this movie or a lesser version of this movie, you know, the sort of lifetime version of this movie is that she gives it all up to be, you know, his heiress and we don't get that now because this is truly a rom-com and truly a fantasy we don't actually get any answer to how are they going to marry their two very different lives um he proposes to her on a plane which is manipulative and then they're just happy um but we don't get any sense that she's planning to give up her career or her passion to be married to him. And he offers to give up everything for her. At right. no point does she offer to give up anything for him. It's asked of her to do that, but it's never an offer. And I like that. I I, I don't think either of them should have to give up. I mean, her point at the end, which is he would resent me if he gave up his family. He would resent you if you forced him to give up me. What are we going to do about it? Is valid. But, it, but he is the one who says, like, I'll give it all up. And it's never even a thought that she should do that. Because of course she shouldn't. She seems like a very good, I don't understand economics and I still don't understand game theory, but she seems to explain it to those Gen Z kids pretty well. Right. Gen Z, not millennial. Yeah. And speaking of Astrid, so I knew that Harry Shroom Jr. was in this cast and spent (laughs) two hours waiting for him. And then that's why I told you to watch through the credits. And then texted you and said, "Where was Harry Shroom Jr. in this movie?" And then he shows up for like five seconds in a post-credit scene where we see him give like sexy eyes to Gemma Chan. Obviously, movie two is their love story, and I'm here for it. Why is Harry Shroom Jr. so like? What has he done other than Glee? I don't know, but he has grown up quite nicely. But he, A, looks great. And Gorgeous. B, yes, I hope that what that post credit scene was doing was setting up a second movie where we get more there of is definitely Astrid's a, story. There is de- definitely a second movie in the works because one of my, I guess not roommate anymore because I live in our parents' basement, but I, one of, I'm still going to call her my roommate. One of my roommate's friends interviewed to write it. Mm. Um, don't know how that went. Anyway, uh, so there's definitely like I think it's probably been somewhat stalled by COVID. So mom at the end 
realizing that it's been stalled by COVID, said, well, I just can't wait. So now I have to buy her the books. Um, but yes, there, I don't know when it's coming, but there will definitely be a second movie. And I can't imagine that that cute little scene where they like smile at each other at the wedding is setting up anything but that. Yeah. Carrie, final thoughts. Does it hold up? Um, yeah, this was a really fun movie. I was very skeptical going in because I was like, because a two hour rom-com is by and large completely unnecessary. Truthfully, truthfully. Two-hour movies are unnecessary. I want a tight hour 45. But this movie used its time very well. It was beautiful. It, Like I said, this movie was a food, real estate, fashion, porn. And it was fun to watch. It was joyful. The performances are great, particularly from the women. And I would I watch will- again. I will say 100%. we ordered dinner when we started this movie and it arrived like right after that food scene. Mm-hmm. And mom like opened her food and was like, oh, it's not Chinese food. <laughs> we didn't order Chinese food. We, she was like, I know. I was just like, ex- because we watched that scene, I was expecting. She was like expecting noodles and then like bummed when her spaghetti. Well, I guess she got. She was expecting Asian noodles and bumped when her spaghetti arrived. <laughs> I got it. I was bummed when I was not suddenly transported to a Singapore food market. Um, yes, it holds up. I found it enjoyable. I would watch it again, particularly since I've already watched it twice since living with my parents. Great. It was fun to watch this again with mom because she knew she'd watched it so recently. She knew what was going to happen. So she was like, I'm going to look for the nuances. <laughs> it holds up. All right. What are we doing next week? I think we are like fully transitioning into holiday season next week we're so transitioning into holiday season our next two movies have the word holiday in them the first one is just very simply the holiday which what you are hate. your predictions um look it's a bad movie that i watch every year it's a bad movie i love it i don't love this movie i don't think it's going to feministly hold up i don't think i'm going to believe that either of those couples love each other I have not seen this movie in a long time. It's not one that I watch every year because I don't love it. So I'm interested to see it again. We'll it's our see. first Nancy Myers. Yeah. And it's kind of a bummer that we're starting with this one because I think it's the worst of the Nancy Myers rom-coms. Where can people find us? You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Um, we'll have some information about our parent. Um, minisodes that we decided to do while recording and so follow for all of that rate review and subscribe and tell your friends and we'll see you in two weeks for the holiday bye bye <laughs>